Welcome to episode 219 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. You may have noticed that I've been creating a lot of new content lately. As a base, I've published a weekly podcast 50 times a year for over four years. I also write a short story with a business or a life lesson to share with you as a weekly email and at the beginning of each week's podcast episode. Each Friday, as we kick off my free weekly No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hour, I share some insider strategy to design or execute more engaging online experiences. And about six weeks ago, I committed to publishing new content every weekday on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. To sustain this level of content production, I need to plan ahead. If I leave it to the last minute, I would likely have some other pressing deadline pop up and would miss my self-imposed deadline to publish this content. The tricky part is I'm not just drafting the text, but also recording either video or audio content several weeks in advance. This means I have to make some predictions about where the world will be and what you will need in a few weeks. Generally, this has worked fine. I could look ahead and realize the content would come out around a holiday, let's say, and uh, make sure what I recorded made sense in that context. Recording in advance does mean that there is a chance my content will be tone deaf. In mid-March, I rushed to create some new content to reflect our new reality, since the email that was scheduled was all about the benefits of networking at conferences, which clearly wasn't happening. Last week, I rushed to create a new video explaining how to handle Zoom's new requirement that every meeting without a passcode could not disable the waiting room. And that's why today's email is not about the election, despite that being the biggest news story this week. There is just no way I can record anything in advance of this week that won't sound tone deaf, so I wrote about this dilemma instead. Your challenge for this week, make a commitment to increase the frequency of content you share. Incorporate a new format, audio, blog, graphic, video, Create a content calendar so you can plan at least a week ahead and then aim to get two to three weeks ahead of the publication date. Look ahead at what's happening in the world so what you share feels congruent and not tone deaf. (laughs) Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest is a champion of female empowerment and gender equality. With her 20 years of experience in the finance industry, She has been a fintech industry leader at companies such as Credit Suisse First Boston, Lizard Frères, and Equity Growth Partners. She has been a catalyst for positive change, serving as a senior-level executive and leading numerous corporate turnarounds of VC-backed portfolio companies. She has served as vice chairman of the Serious Game Institute at George Mason University, which is a focus on women and girls in technology and coding. She founded AngelLink the first social crowding platform inspired and empowered by women. AngelLink is a purpose-driven community to empower people around the world, transform lives, and restore faith in humanity. Please join me in welcoming Gary Poirier. Thank you, Robbie. Nice to be with you today. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. So thank you for joining us. You're in your home office in Naples, Florida. That's right. This podcast is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. 
So tell me, how do you, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, you know, that is such a fantastic question. Um, I actually have a good answer for you. So I would describe leadership. In fact, I took a few minutes to actually do some research on exactly what I think um, are the best definitions of leadership. And I'll, I'll give you those uh, tips. There are actually 11 components to leadership. The first one is courage. Every leader has to be courageous. The second one, interestingly enough, is self-control. You have to be able to keep your own ego in check, and you have to be able to control your own actions um, and be, I think, very thoughtful and intuitive at the same time. Number three is you have to be fair. I, I You know, no one is going to join willingly a leader down the hill if, you know, in, into battle. If you are, um, you know, uh, you're not fair. You 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 uh, you don't have that respect. Mm-hmm. So uh, fairness breeds respect because you might not agree with a leader, and you might not find that you're always uh, coming to the same conclusion. But because that leader is fair, you always have that respect and the confidence and the um, you you kind of believe in them because of the fairness. Okay, number four. Um, a leader can never have perfect information. You always, a leader really is going to be pulling together disparate pieces of information. They won't have all the information, but they have the call to action is they have to make a decision. So I think it's very important for leaders to, to be able to call together various data points, make an informed decision. They will not have a perfect decision, but to be able to stand by it and um, make adjustments as they go. But they've got to make a decision that's based on imperfect information. Hey, Gary. So what I'm curious about is as you're reading through all these definitions that you found, what part of this resonated with you and your life experience in regards to leadership? Because it's great that you've got this sort of textbook multi-point definition, but which which were the aspects that for you rang true as you thought about what does what does leadership mean for you i'd say um the first one courage and um and one you wouldn't necessarily think of on the list actually is sympathetic Ah. um you know it basically plays into fairness so if if a leader is uh like a bull in a china shop and they are breaking things without ever trying to understand the impact. I think sympathy and being sympathetic is really important and probably not uh, usually part of anyone's definition of of leadership. It's true. I don't Um, think I've heard that as I've discussed that with other people. You know, another one is exceptionally likable. Mm. You have to, again, people don't want to follow, you know, abusive, mean, unkind, unfair people. And I think, you know, the characteristics of leadership, besides the ones that you would read in a textbook of of making a quick decision, um, are that likability, sympathy, and then um, cooperation. You've got to be imminently 
you've got to be able to cooperate to build that team. And there is with a team building, um, I've found that it's it's really imperative to listen, to be a good listener, to be able to synthesize you know various uh, opinions and come to a decision based on those inputs. So I would say the last thing is paying attention to detail and uh, not being afraid of mistakes. So those are the things that I found kind of at the the end of that overview uh, that really resonate with me and yeah, what I found great. to be really important. I think what's so hard is when you when you see a great list like that, you're like, well, all of these things clearly are part of it, but you know, probably some of them more strongly resonated with you than others. And I, I love that you started with courage because it is a courageous thing to be out front because a leader is first often to, into, into something and others are following them because you know, that's like probably the most basic definition. <laughs> if you don't have any followers, you're not being a good leader. Um, when did you start to realize that you had some of these skills? You know, we just did an Instagram live today and we, inter- we turned the camera around and interviewed our team and had a list of questions. And one of them asked me, you know, tell us something surprising about yourself. And so I think uh, it, it brought to mind something that was perhaps surprising and also uh, where I learned leadership skills myself. So I would say um, what, I've always been a risk taker. But balancing being a risk taker and actually leading people towards a common goal and a shared vision are, you know, slightly different. But I would say that um, I I convinced my parents when I was uh, 20 years old that I I was doing a junior abroad. Um, I went to University of Pennsylvania and uh, to Wharton undergrad, and then I I did a, a junior abroad. And I convinced my parents that I had found a great ticket home at the end of the uh, year, and that I would be coming back in four months. And I got on a cargo plane that went around the world. And my, my dad at the time said, there is no way you're going by yourself. And I said, okay, great. So he said, I'm going to send your brother, your little brother. And I had a girlfriend come. So I became the team leader with my little team of my brother and um, my uh, best friend at the time. And you know, from everything, the first flight, the first stop was in the middle of the Indian Ocean in Sri Lanka. The day we landed, they declared civil war. We were the last plane in. So, you know, I, I became a leader very quickly because they, they closed the American embassy. Um, all flights were gone. The, all, all American personnel were out of there. Of course, this is before the internet. So we weren't reading the Herald Tribune. We had no idea that this little tiny country was on the verge of civil war. So I would say that probably was the first time I I really became a leader. And then throughout the entire trip for four months, I would kind of lead the charge. This is before before cell phones. Uh, You know, people, you'd have to go to the American Express office to cash an American Express check. You'd have to wait in line. So I, I think just, you know, two people to be able to get garner their respect and their, um, you know, kind of unwavering, well, Gary's going to make this, the decision today because they couldn't even, they had no idea what to do. So um, taking charge and then I, that I think was the beginning of like real self-confidence. Yeah, I mean, that's quite the experience to have at 20 years old, to have that res- level of responsibility. 
that you weren't expecting. I imagine, though, that you actually even sort of seeded the idea of you being a leader prior to that for them to turn to you in that moment. Like, what were you like as a kid? Were you like in the, in the playground? Oh, well, or? I was always a very hard worker. My grandmother had a horse farm. I grew up very, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area and about an hour outside of D.C. in Maryland. My grandmother had this beautiful horse farm. And um, we had chores every single day. So it was, you know, working in the garden, planting all the vegetables, painting, I don't know, 350 acres of fence. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. So it was like child labor. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I mean, I learned uh, responsibility, wake up early, get your chores done. You can't take a swim in the, in the creek or the swimming pool until your chores are done. So um, uh, there's definitely leadership and, and, and accountability and responsibility early. So, oh, yeah, I mean, doing Girl Scouts, leadership skills. So I, I started young, and then I also was a um, babysitter and I babysat when I started, I think I started at 12 years old as a mother's helper and stayed with this family for, I don't know, you know, seven years, eight years. Uh, so yeah, a lot of hard work. Um, and this family, when I started with them, had five children. When I left, they had 10. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's responsibility <laughs> and leadership. So I, I actually learned some skills from this mother, this fantastic mother who I used to baby, babysit for. And um, she ran a benevolent dictatorship. Like, you know, there's got to be someone in charge, especially with children. You know, you, you can't have like, this is a total democracy here. Then you're going to have, you know, 10 things for dinner every night because nobody will agree <laughs> that we're going to have a healthy dinner. So um, I think that's a long-winded kind of overview of what kind of my background. And I'd say those were sort of the uh, foundational aspects that gave me confidence and accountability, responsibility, and leadership. So you ended up in fintech. I'm curious at that age around, you know, 12 to 20 years old, when you were like starting to think about life, did you have a sense of what you wanted to do when you got older? Well, I was on a track, um, in finance and, and um, as Wharton undergrad and at University of Pennsylvania. And I did a, a degree in uh, non-Western history as well as um, concentration in marketing and finance from Wharton. So um, I actually, because of my experience, because I was a risk taker, because I, I had, I guess, those leadership skills that I, you know, kind of got together a, a, as a young person, um, when I was in New York, when I was in, uh, graduating, I had, re I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I had, didn't have a hundred percent clarity and most kids, you know, 20, 21 year olds don't have tremendous clarity about that. And I, um, was doing these interviews and this guy from Credit Suisse interviewed me and he's like, and I wasn't the smartest in the class. I wasn't a four point, you know, six GPA. I was probably a solid A minus, you know, maybe a couple classes had some B pluses, but I worked really hard, but I was definitely not the most academically smart in, at, um, in college. But so you're competing against all these people for the top jobs on Wall Street. 
And I remember this one guy, his name was Tom Barman, love him. And he interviewed me and he said, um, first of all, I thought I was a man for my resume, right? He, you know, he, this is before LinkedIn. So you, he really didn't have a picture of me. And when I walked in the room, he's like, oh, I thought you were a guy. I was like, yeah, no, I'm a girl. <laughs> but anyway, um, he hired me and he said, I, he basically hired me on the spot after the interview. And I was, again, competing with like the top guys, the top people at the time and, and, uh, for this position. It, and the uh, job was in finance, uh, you know, kind of global finance and on Wall Street. And he said, the reason I'm hiring you is you are a risk taker. He said, I've never seen a resume like this. This was 20 years ago. And he said, you've backpacked through Southeast Asia, you know, on your own, on a limited budget, staying in youth hostels, you know, exploring the world as a young person, it was kind of unusual at the time. And so he hired me on the spot and he asked me to um, be on part of his team. So that's another kind of background story there for you. I love it because it's funny how you were able to tie that onto resume. I mean, I don't know that other people would have even seen, I don't know that every young person even today would see that they had taken that risk to go, you know, explore the world and then found a way to fit it into a resume, right? So you saw it even as an asset. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's a differentiator. I mean, like back then, it it helped you stand out in a way that- Yeah, it did. I mean, you you know, you definitely saw a lot of kids who'd maybe been fortunate enough to be able to travel in Europe or something. But, um, you know, it was kind of an interesting thing. I guess he saw, you know, Indonesia, Malaysia, Korea, Taiwan, Thailand, India. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Indonesia. So, <laughs> and I guess we got talking about it and he's like, oh my God, you've been to the jungles of Bobador, Indonesia? And I was like, yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, and I'm like 20 hired. years old. So yeah, that, that was, um, I think so, you know, back to your original question, I do think that people who are leaders uh, or, 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 you know, are seeking out um, a broader experience in life, and they're not really satisfied with the status quo. Mm-hmm. So for a while there, you looked like you were tracking to do a, a, a fairly traditional career in fintech. You know, moving on to, to you know different opportunities. At what point did you realize you were wanting to create something on your own? So I've actually always wanted to do something entrepreneurial. Um, I think, you know, being in finance, it was great, has been great training. And then as I had, and which is very challenging, women have the extra issue usually of being, um, if they choose to be moms, you know, adding the component of being responsible for the kids and getting food on the table and managing a career. Uh, So I really wanted to be able to spend more time with remote uh, working. And so I actually for the last decade, had my own company called Equity Growth Partners doing finance and turnarounds for venture capital and private equity firms. And um, that was really fantastic. And in that environment, I I also wanted to double down and find a a way to really help women because women are so unrepresented still in finance and uh, women get 2% of venture capital financing and it is exceedingly hard for women to start businesses and get 
um, you know, equity financing, even debt financing is, is a challenge. So I knew for quite some time I wanted to find some and bring solutions to those issues. And um, that was sort of the genesis of how to start a fintech platform for women. Yeah. And how many years ago did you start the AngelList? So AngelLink, um, well, it's interesting because I wanted to make whatever platform I came up with fun and engaging. And I had this little you know, side uh, gig where in Washington, D.C., because I just moved to Florida a few years ago. I'm a native Washington, D.C. person, uh, born and raised um, there and had really never lived anywhere else except East Coast, um, you know, D.C. I lived in New York. I lived in Asia, but I had not, I had not lived down here in Florida. So I basically um, decided to find something that could combine this this dramatic need of how how to give access to women in, in financial services. And I focused on, I think, the underserved population of, of women who really need help on, on day-to-day expenses and uh, day-to-day issues because there's such a dramatic need now. So I started about a year and a half, two years ago, with the idea of um, making some a platform fun and engaging. I had been in D.C. with the George Mason University uh, Serious Game Institute. They asked me to be the vice chairman of the board. And I learned a lot about engagement, gamification, rewards. And so I wanted to combine that with a platform for women. So that was sort of the, the background of how I thought about AngelInc and how we, how we started the, the company. I mean, that's such a different approach that most people would do for this kind of space. The fact that you had that gamification background, right? It's community building. Women want and need the spaces that you're describing. Um, I saw that stat was 85% consumer goods. Is that? So, yeah. I mean, Robbie, can you believe this? So I think of it this way. So women control 85% of all domestic household spending in every single country around the world. And we as women here in the United States have the same challenges as somebody in in China, a a woman in, you know, Bangladesh or in in, uh, Brazil. You know, in most of these countries, uh, the women are representing at least 50% of the workforce and they're trying to juggle the kids and they're trying to maybe finish their education and maybe they're trying to start a business. But, um, Yes. So if you think of it this way, if we control women, control 85% of domestic household spending, how crazy is it that there's no platform for women to help each other? So um, the, the idea is small amounts of money from hundreds of millions of women with a platform that is a peer-to-peer crowdfunding platform with categories uh, to for women to help each other. So you can raise money on AngelLink. Our beta will be up soon, um, in the next couple of months, we're doing the beta testing, I'd say in the next six weeks, we're doing internal testing. Now it's up on test flight and Android and iOS. And it's, it's so exciting. And we're, we'd be the number two to market. There is only one other company out there who is in the peer to peer crowdfunding space. And we think that, you know, women represent about 80% of all those donors. That's amazing. That's amazing. So this episode is going to air in early November. So you'll be really on the cusp of this going live. So anyone who's listening to this can go check out the show notes for the link, which I know we'll, we'll talk more about how to connect with you 
then. But what I'm I'm sort of curious about is the challenges in in bringing this to light. Like, is it mindset? Was it resources? Was it a lack of knowledge about something? Like, was it a certain team you need to assemble? Like, you're smart, you're capable, you have this huge vision. What was the challenge you had to overcome to go from a, an idea on the back of a napkin <laughs> to, you know, weeks away from this going live? You know, Robbie, uh, how many hours do we have? <laughs> I mean, I could go on. The challenges are not, I mean, it is connections, networking, because um, technology, access to capital, um, you know, every mistake, you can certainly make every mistake in the book and be able to recover and figure out exactly what to do next and how to move forward. So I, I'd say from the, from the basic, um, we had to, I filed patents. We had to, I filed a patent with my tech, uh, my fantastic tech team, uh, for a patent with eight claims. So there's really eight different um, unique characteristics to AngelLink that we wanted to incorporate to make our mousetrap a heck of a much better mousetrap than the competition, um, than, than what existed in the market today. So the challenges, I don't even know where to start with that question. <laughs> okay, so the challenges would be, first of all, um, where to find good, good uh, outside of Silicon Valley, because we are not in Silicon Valley. And the vast majority, I want to say 80% of all tech companies are really still concentrated in California. There's a handful in New York, but it is a tremendous gap. And I think that show is borne out in research across the country. And there's a lot of other smart people that do not live in New York or California. And so I want to be a very strong voice for the rest of the country. Um, so the challenges are, you know, not being in those ecosystems. So, you know, we in in the in the United States, you know, we are a um, a balanced country in terms of we're supposed to have equal opportunity, and it's not it is not easy to find good tech people. Uh, nor is it to find, um, you know, early stage angel investors outside of New York and California. And so I think those have been challenges. I'd say um, assembling the right team. Surprisingly, the team has not been on the sales and marketing side a difficult task because women are gravitating to what we're trying to build. And we would put out an offer on, you know, a uh, website, uh, recruiting software platform, we get 150 applications. So, and predominantly women who are interested in our, our uh, women empowerment mission. Yeah, it sounds like um, the challenges you faced, that your resolution was probably through some relationships you already had. So is, is there a story there? Yes, around- yes. Um, I'd say building those relationships and... Um, I was really doing kind of, I'd say, later stage um, turnaround. So the early stage venture capital people, I didn't know as mu- as well. And, you know, um, it's a combination. It's a combination of, you know, getting to know, getting the doors open, trying to, to pry those doors open, um, you know, yourself. There's, there's a wonderful book. I can't remember the name of the guy who wrote it. It's called The Third Door. 
And his argument, which I think most leaders would agree, is that you cannot take the front door approach. Sometimes you have to basically use the back door and go, and you're trying to get into a restaurant or something. It's you're like going through the kitchen. You know, you're, you're basically going to find another way for those introductions, for the access to get access to whatever it is or the person you're trying to get. So that's an interesting book that your audience might find. It's a very fun read. I read it a couple of years ago and I, I just can't remember the author, but he was a young guy. I have it here, so I, actually. We'll, we'll put this link in the show notes. It's The Third Door, The Wild Quest to Uncover, How the World's Most Successful People Launch Their Careers by Alex Banyan. So we'll put the there link, you go. We'll put the link in the show notes. That's a great book. I never heard of this book, and it seems like so interesting. Um, it kind of reminds me of the story of how Spanx got started. You know, when I got to listen to that on the How I Built This NPR podcast, you know, just that perseverance. And it sounds like that's a lot of your story too, is persevering through this. I imagine that over the last couple of decades, you I would love. Met. Okay, I'm going to take. I'm going to stop you there. I would love to meet Sarah Blakely. Uh, put it out there. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can facilitate that. Maybe she's listening, but uh, I love Spanx. She is such a great example, Robbie, because she started it with a $5,000 check. I know her story. And um, she could not raise any outside capital. And she's one of the biggest successes in the United States as a self-built woman, woman who did not go through the traditional channels. And in apparel which is a very, very tough industry. So yeah, yeah I'd love to meet her. She's well, on my list. There's that, there's that part of her story where it's the daughter of the, um, the manufacturer who she's trying to get this sample, this, this product made, and he doesn't get it. And he goes home and he tells his daughters and his daughters get it and convince dad to, to, to take on her, her product. Yeah. And that is like it's, it, women get it, right? Like these guys run the show but if there hadn't been these daughters, I feel like Sarah Bilkley's story would have taken longer. I don't think she would have stopped. I just think it might have taken even longer. Yeah, and she was so creative in getting getting it out in the market and um, setting up these little like uh, demo boutique things. You know what we'll and- do? We'll put a link to the um, the NPR um, episode on how I built this because it is a really great and inspiring. Okay, well, we'll story. do a shout out to definitely love to have a cup of coffee uh, with Sarah. Br- <laughs> All Blakely. right, Sarah, if you're listening. So, so speaking of people you know and want to know, you've over the last couple of decades just met so many amazing people. I'm sure more people even know you than you know. Um, I'm quite sure of that. So, how do you? I, I think about like how you nurture and sustain your network. There's like your innermost circle that you stay in touch with. And then there's sort of that, I think it was sort of the second and third layer or second and third tier out. It could be people you see once a year at a conference or you worked with five years ago. These are people you like, but you don't have a reason to work with them right now. How are you nurturing and sustaining those sort of looser connections? Do you have any habits, philosophies, practices? You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm actually, there is a maybe a... Um, a talent or a gift that people have, I think. And I don't know if it's a talent or a gift, but it, it, it basically kind of um, plays again to the idea of being a risk taker or being courageous. Like I have a lot of girlfriends, you know, different life experiences. You met some of the moms and when the kids were in school together, you met people in different career paths. And it is so rare to find the connector. Like I'm a connector. 
And I am not afraid to pick up the phone to a friend I haven't spoken to in 10 years. And she'll say, I am so glad you called me. And I'm so embarrassed that you reached out to me four years ago and I was busy and I wanted to get pick up the phone and I couldn't. And I left, I heard your voicemail and you touched my heart. And it, you know, I forgot to call you, but I love you and I want to be connected. So it, it's sort of the same in business that um, being able to say, oh, I met you at that dinner. Well, there were 10 other people at that dinner, but I took the time to actually send you a text to say, hey, I really enjoyed meeting you and let's do a cup of coffee. And very few people will do that um, and, and stay on it. Not necessarily that you're trying to get something out of that person, because I think that can be very uh, transparent and, and unappealing, but that you have a real connection with someone and that you're just reaching out because you really enjoyed meeting them. You know, maybe in the future, there could be some way to work together in business or, you know, to a mentor relationship, but actually being, being confident enough to make that connection in a, in a very nice, you know, not asking for anything. I think that's really important. And uh, so I, I do that a lot with my friends. I'll, like I, the other day, I was like, okay, I'm trying to reach out to my friend, Lori, and she doesn't call me back. She's like, and, and uh, you know, she's busy, I'm busy. But, you know, then she calls me back and she's like, oh my gosh, you know, you're one of my top five friends and I forgot to call you, you know, in the last few months. So I think that is important in business too. So uh, speaking of which, I want to get your uh, address after this because we are going to send you a cute little PR box for AngelLink. And we are sending out little gifts just to friends, just to people we know. They're super cute, super... um, it's a nice way to connect. What a thoughtful way, yeah. I feel like actually since the pandemic, I've received more gifts than pre-pandemic. I had a, a podcast guest sent me something. I was on a show. The host sent me something. Like um, I got, I've gotten some thank you things in the mail. And I just, it's funny how because we're not going to see each other, receiving something stands out even more. I think the physicality. So like you said, Having that. I love this idea, though, also of not being afraid to reach out. I, I coach and uh, entrepreneurs, and often an assignment I give them is to make a list of 100 people. It should be a list of people that would remember their name, that they would want to like, be thrilled to see them out of, hear from them out of nowhere. That's the, that's the two major criteria. And the third criteria might be you know, within a certain industry or a certain job, if they're trying to like, be a little more focused in their outreach. And when, they, when I first say this to them, they think, I can't, I have no way I can come with 100 people. But once they get going, of course they do. Like, there's no problem. And then I have a whole process of helping them prioritize how to reach out and all that. And what they do next with it is always kind of amazing. But I, the, our, our network is just sort of this untapped potential. And it sounds like for you, that's not been the case because you're willing to call out of the blue, where I hear from a lot of clients, well, wouldn't it be weird for me to call them out of the blue? <laughs> and I'm like, well, what if they called you out of the blue? Oh, I'd be so happy to hear from them. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the person that takes that chance. Yeah. And that is very few, very few people actually, Robbie, take the chance. That's why there are so few leaders and there's so many followers, right? And that's why, um, you know, there's such disparity, I think, um, in, in many different ways because people are sort of satisfied with the status quo, I think, for me, I'm like, I'm never satisfied with this. I always want to change something. I always want to be out there doing something better. I, I feel life purpose 
and mission is so incredibly important. And I'm really, I've been focused on that to be a great mom, to be a great friend, to be a great mentor, to now to be a great leader to, and I have such amazing people on my team and I give them all the credit and I'm just organizing things behind the scenes, but, 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 uh, you know, it, it does, it does take a team effect really to, to be successful in life. So, um, I, I have a feeling also that as you, um, think about the work that you're doing, um, and the people you need to know that you're also interested in connecting people is, is connecting a big piece of sort of the strategy of how you think about life. And do you, um, do that on a regular basis, make an effort to introduce people? Yes. Yes, actually. Sorry about it. I'm making sure I'm trying to turn off this phone. Um, Yes, making the um, you know making the focus on on others, connecting others. Um, you know that's actually how I met you, is because my friend Jackie, uh, you know, has heard about what I'm doing with Angel Link, and then she said, "Well, you have got to get on Robbie's uh, podcast," and that's how I met you was through her kindness. So I do think what there is good karma, and I'm really, really always focused on building that good karma with people. Again, not really focusing on what I can get out of it, but focusing what you can do for someone else. It comes back in, in, in it's such, it's such a magnitude more when you, when you give. And there's a a famous uh, quote I have, which is, you know, which we actually put on our PR box and it says, we all rise by lifting others. That's awesome. I want to also note there's something you did. Um, So, so Jackie Liu actually, um, I met her through Treble, which is treblenetwork.com, which is a which is a networking website. And we met through that. And she knew I had this podcast. She listened. She said, I have suggestions for some women to be on your show. Uh, two out of three guests on my show are women. So she knew that's primarily what I was looking for. And um, she sent me this list. You were on it. And then months go by. And we're finally doing the interview. And you wrote her and said, and you looked me in. You CC'd me. You said, hey, Jackie. I'm going to be on Robbie's show in 15 minutes. And I want to say that that closing the loop with the person who made the introduction is so rare. Right away, I was like, clearly, this is a classy person who knows how to do things. <laughs> it really stood Good. out to me because, I, I, you know, a lot of times, you know, you get introduced by someone and months later, you're making, you're making money happen. And the person who made the introduction has no idea that you're in business together or that you made this referral or you got this gig or whatever, right? Like just that. And I think as a connector, it can be so frustrating to not have that loop closed to the point where you just stop making introductions to certain people. Cause you're like, they never, you know, they never sort of paid forward. They never close the loop, but you are both a great connector. And it sounds like even as a recipient, you understand that. And so I noticed that. Oh, really? Good. And I was like running out of time. I was like, oh shoot. I wanted to do it. I had the intention and yeah. I was like, where is her email? And then just before this, you know what? We were on it because I sent Jackie a PR kit on AngelLink months ago to thank her for her introduction to you. And I was too busy to even do the, the, the podcast with you. Like I kept on putting it off because we were so busy and we we're you know doing design sprint for the new app. And so like, it was a really nice introduction, but I didn't even have a chance to take her up on it, but we still sent her the PR kit. And before I came on, I said, oh, and I was talking to my team. I was like, did we send that? Did it go out? Like, yeah, Gary, it went out two months ago. Yep. See, you're on it. Yeah. 
That's yeah. Great. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a live example of what you just said. Yeah. Of that connection. And you know what? You can see this on my face. It brings me such joy. Yeah. Like I am so excited to help Jackie because I know she's trying to start something, um, you know, in, 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 uh, a platform of some kind. I know she's been kind of thinking of different ways to, to build a company, but, oh yeah. I mean, finding that joy, I, yeah, it's well, really important. What's so wonderful an example is that, you know, in, in this case, Jackie's the connector and I know she'll listen to this. So I want to give her that credit. She's the connector. Um, but, and very thoughtful to me, I will also say a great way to get on a podcast host radar is to offer to make introductions to other people that are their perfect guest, because now Jackie's on my radar too. Whereas if Jackie just pitched herself, I can easily ignore that. I get enough pitches, you know? So I, I mean, I can find 50 people a year to interview without having anyone introduce me to anyone. That's not I the would, issue. I have so many incredible, I know you do. So that's good. I'm going to ask you about things. that after this call. So I, I want to well, say that- You can count on me. I'll give you a long list. I'm sure you will. It's going to be fantastic. And everyone listening can look forward to that. I want to move us to, to our wrap-up question, which is one of my favorite questions. So, so, so Gary, if we were, so we're going to say connected, but let's say we're talking a year from now. We go, wow, it was a year ago that we did that interview. Hey, I want to know, Gary, what are we going to be celebrating that you've achieved in the next 12 months? That's such a wonderful question. We're going to be celebrating an unbelievable uh, user joy over AngelLink that we are going to be helping hundreds of thousands of people help each other with small amounts of money from hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. And, um, you know, if we can achieve just that one thing, just a, a really wonderful experience where we have, um, you know, people helping people. Oh my gosh, what a difference we can make in the world. That's amazing. We started, we started with a pre-launch social ambassador program, brand ambassadors, just on Facebook. Within a month, Robbie, we got 3,000 people applied. Now, I mean, just wait a minute. That's like 36,000 run rate a year. And we got, we were overwhelmed. We actually had to stop even you know, communicating advertising because we were, we now take care of 3000 brand ambassadors. So these are young women, predominantly women. However, we do have about 13% men who are interested in the idea of a platform where people are helping each other and it's inspired, empowered by women. So to, so to answer your question in a year, we have a fantastic user community and we are making the world a better place. Thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are on AngelLink, maybe even millions. And we are changing the world and people are setting up uh, campaigns to help each other. And we're talking small amounts of money. You can do $5, but you can help a woman buy shoes for her children. It's so good. This is also great. I can't wait to celebrate all of this with you. I would love for you to share with everyone listening how they can find you and follow your work. Oh, great. Well, we are, um, our app will be live uh, soon in the next few months with the beta coming up um, imminently. Uh, it's AngelLink, A-N-G-E-L-I-N-K with one L, uh, angellink.com 
We're on um, Facebook with Angel Link Official, and we're also on Instagram with at Angel Link underscore official for Instagram as well. And those are the best places to connect. Fantastic. We'll have all and those links. And the app will be in the app store oh, great. on Android and iOS shortly. So we'll make a big shout out when it's, when it's ready. This is so exciting. We'll have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Gary, thank you so much for joining us this conversation. Robbie, you're the best. Thank you. And uh, I wish you the best. And I know we will be in touch. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Gary. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 219. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as over 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. As I mentioned at the top of the show, each weekday, I share new content on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. Three times a week, that's a video where I discuss a Zoom feature or a technique, and you'll find all the archived videos on my YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Robbie Samuels. If we're not already connected on LinkedIn and Facebook, let's remedy that. And if you see these posts, please comment on them to help me increase engagement. You'll find me at facebook.com slash Robbie Samuels and linkedin.com slash in slash Robbie Samuels. Haven't signed up yet for my free weekly No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hours? You are invited. They take place every Friday at five o'clock Eastern. These are a fun way to network and discover new ways to design engaging online experiences. The first 75 minutes is a mix of Zoom tips and lots of networking, followed by over 45 minutes of Q&A. 50 to 60 people attend each week. And did I mention? We have a lot of fun. Sign up at nomorebadzoom.com to receive the Zoom link. I hope to see you there. If you enjoyed this episode with Gary, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. You'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On The Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.